always great to be in the house of the Lord, but it's even a special when we can think about those who have sacrificed so much for us. And I thought about, as our brother was sharing this morning, you don't realize until you meet someone who has been there. I pastored in Springfield, Ohio, and visited every week at a nursing home with a young man that had Agent Orange. His family, he didn't even know them. His wife, he couldn't recognize her. But his mother would go three times a week and stay all day long sitting at his bedside. There were a few times that he recognized who I was. But it was a price that was paid for our freedom. I look around and I see the vets. I shared with our brother this morning. My wife and I were sitting in a restaurant in uh, Springfield, Ohio, on a day like today after service, and we were sitting at the table waiting for our food when we noticed a veteran sitting over, an older gentleman with his daughter. His daughter finally came over and said, uh, My dad is just so admiring your necktie. It was a silk tie, beautiful flag design on it. She said, I would just love to be able to purchase him one. Could you tell me where you got that tie? We waited a few moments and said, No, I can't tell you where I got the tie. But I took the tie off and I gave it to him. He began to weep. I gave her my card. And about a week later, I got a most beautiful card where she wrote about how much her daddy appreciated that necktie. He wore it for two weeks in the nursing home without ever taking it off. Do you know that he wore that tie more in two weeks than I would have worn it in a lifetime? But it made a difference to a vet to know that he still appreciated the flag. I want to talk to you this morning about, just for a few moments, on how strong is your faith. Think about it. I hear people say, I need more faith. I need bigger faith. No, we just need strong faith. We just need the little bit that we have as strong as it can possibly be. And I want to share with you the Scripture that comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 14. Let me drop down to verse number 13 this morning. It says, When Jesus heard of John's death, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they could go to the villages and buy for themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said to them. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fishes, looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. 
And the number who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Think of that. The disciples said, send them away. No way this can happen. Jesus said, just bring it to me. I thought about a story I read some years ago in Reader's Digest that talks about that very faith. Josephine Kuntz, husband, was a house painter and a drywall hanger. But because of the weather and the lack of work, he was unemployed. It was a difficult time for the family. Literally, they had no money. They had no income coming in. And, you know, their 18-month daughter had been fighting with her lungs with pneumonia. She had been gone to the doctor, but the doctor suggested at that time that one of the best things they could do was to have Rachel eat a boiled egg every day. It would help to not only ward off the pneumonia, but would help bring healing. But even with no work and not living on a farm and not having chickens, how do you have an egg every day? And so she was sharing with one of her neighbor, Christian friends, from the church. And the young lady said to her, well, why don't you just pray for an egg? Well, they had gone to church, they were believers, but they had prayed for a lot of other people, but they never prayed for themselves. And so her mother said, well, maybe that's a good idea. So she went to her room and she got on her knees and she asked God to provide an egg a day for little Rachel. Well, you know, the next morning she got up, she went to the kitchen sink, and she's looking out the window, and she happened to notice and to hear, with the window being open, some cackling that was going on in the bush in the front yard. She looked, she couldn't believe her eyes. It was the biggest red hen you ever seen in your life. It was under the bush, and it was laying there. In a little while, it got up, and it walked off and went on down the road. And she went out and looked, and sure enough, there was an egg. And she said she couldn't believe it. What do you do in a time like that? What do you do except thank God? I mean, it's an answer to prayer. And so the next morning, she got up, she went to the sink, she looked out, and lo and behold, if that same red hen didn't come back under that same bush and lay another egg. This went on for one week. And Rachel got well by eating that boiled egg every day. Her husband went back to work because the weather had gotten better. And you know what? She said, I went back to that window the next day, the starting on Monday morning, and I stood there and I thanked God for bringing healing to Rachel and giving my husband more work. And she kept looking for the red hen, but it never showed up again. You say, that's far-fetched. But you know what? That was a story. That was a true story of a Christian woman who believed. You see, how strong is our faith? How much can we really believe? Jesus had just received tragic news. I mean, this was a tragedy. His cousin, John the Baptist, think about this, had been put to death. This was a closeness between Jesus and John like there was with nobody else. It was John that spent the days in the desert with Jesus before he started his earthly ministry. You remember it was John the Baptist who was the one that baptized Jesus. And now, now John was dead. 
And Matthew tells us that Jesus, because of this, withdrew from them in a boat to a desert place to be by himself. That tells us something. I think it's a lesson that we learn. It's a lesson that he's trying to say, in times of crisis, we all need that solitary place. In times when tragedy comes and when heartache comes and when things come unexpectedly, we need that time alone away from everybody else and just simply communicate with the Lord. Jesus did this very thing. You could find it with all the busyness in our lives today and the hecticness forever we're on the go. Jesus needed time alone and He did this to show us that we too will need time alone from time to time in our lives. And so Jesus, think of how important it was to Him. We all need time alone with God. And sometimes God fulfills that time in different ways. I don't know how many of you have ever knew of a band, a baseball player by Dave DeVecchi. I remember Dave being in one of our assembly meetings and talking to us, ensuring us Dave was a guy that had the cancer and, and ended up losing his arm. And today is a fine Christian, does a lot of speaking. But Dave tells us a story about his life. Five days a week for eight weeks, former baseball player David DeVecchi drove 90 minutes each way from Boardman, Ohio to Cleveland, Ohio to the clinic. He said, as I begin to make those trips, the first trip seemed so long and so unbearable. Then Dave began to notice the beauty of the summer foliage along the highways and, and the peacefulness as they drove through the older section of Cleveland, Shaker Heights, and seen all of the mansions that was there. The daily trips, he said, were long taking those treatments. They were tiresome. But Dave could almost make it drive in his sleep after a few weeks. Yet these long drives became an opportunity for Dave DeBecky to grow in his faith. He said, I begin to realize that as he was drinking, driving along, and he said, I was thinking about my, my disease. I was praying. I was listening to my favorite Bible teachers on tape. From time to time, I would even put in a worship tape, and I would sing along with them, even though nobody else was going to listen to what I had to say when I was singing. But he said, I came to a place to where it saved my life. He said, and I'm not talking about my physical life. I'm saying it saved my spiritual life. Because through that time, I could have become so discouraged that I walked away from God. But instead, I grew closer to God. I began to have that time of solitude in that car for 90 minutes every day for eight weeks. It made a difference in my life. Eight weeks driving to Cleveland Clinic saved his life, his, life, his spiritual life. He needed time alone. He needed that time desperately. He may even more time to be with God than his radiation treatments that he was getting. You know what is true of Dave DeBecky is also true of Jesus. He was nourished by his time alone. He was nourished by the time. He was strengthened by his time in prayer. And what was true of Jesus is true of us. We all need those solitude times. We need those times alone. And so I say to you today, when you have those difficulties, when those trials comes and those tests comes in life, it's time to shut off the cell phone, to turn off the telephone, quit answering everything that comes down the way, and spend that time alone with you and God and listen to what God has to say. 
We had a beautiful lady that used to do prayer at a certain time every day in her home. I said, do you ever get interrupted? And she said, not at all. I said, do you mean people know not to call you during the... She says, oh, she said, they learned that a long time ago. She said, when it comes time for me to kneel beside my house with my prayer request in front of me, I pull the plug on the telephone. Uh, You know, that was back, they still had to, to plug in the wall. She said they couldn't call me if they wanted to. When somebody said, I tried to call you four or five times during that time, she'd say, that was my prayer time. I unplugged my phone. So people just knew that. But you know, Alberta had power with God. Alberta could pray about things and pray for things. In fact, there would be people that would send a request, like you have in the church, and they would write down, and they'd say, I have this need next week. Would you please see that Alberta gets this? They'd say to see the pastor got it. You know why? Because they knew that she had power with God. And the reason she had power with God is because she was time of alone. She was there alone knowing that God would take this concern to his heart, not just to his thinking. What a difference there is between Jesus and his disciples. You know, when I begin to think about this, also it tells us the second thing we need to see in this passage is that Jesus cares about our needs. Jesus cares about what goes on in your life and my life. Jesus took time when he saw that crowd. Even though he was going through a tough time and losing his cousin who was so close to him, he took time because he saw that in that crowd there were people that believed enough that if he could touch these people that they could be healed. And so the Bible says that he, he, brought, he had compassion enough that he began to touch them and begin to bring healing to them. He could have said to the crowd, go away. He could have said, don't bother me. Don't you see that I'm grieving over somebody in my family? He could have ignored them and gone his way, but he didn't. Jesus responded to the need in the only way he knew how, out of love. You know what? That's what we need in the church today. What a difference there was between Jesus and his disciples. You see, Jesus was always full of compassion. But look at the disciples. I want to deal with that story just for a few moments. I'm not going to hold you late. But you know what? I thought about that story. The disciples were more concerned about convenience. I wonder how many of us are that way today. They were concerned about convenience. They said, it's getting late, Lord. The people are hungry. This presented a real problem. And the disciples approached Jesus and said, This is a desert place. Send them home. It's getting late. Send them away to the cities where they might find something to eat. They may go and buy food. And the disciples were being very practical. You know, sometimes we're that way, aren't we? They did not know with such a large crowd, they knew they there's no way, there was no way in this earth that they could ever feed 5,000 men plus their wives and their children on a little bit of bread and fish. But what they didn't know was that on the other idea, Jesus had another idea. Jesus said, just trust me. Just bring me what you got. You know, sometimes that's what we need to realize is. We say, well, if I had this and if I had that and if we were this as a church and if we had this person as a pastor, if we had this person as our music director, if only if only we had. And Jesus is saying to you, shut up. Take on what you've got. 
and trust me. And you know something? Sometimes some of the greatest things that have ever happened in the life of people have come from those that are less expecting it. There was no need for the disciples to worry. Everything was under control. It was in Jesus' hand. You know, we all have to come to that at some point in our life. We need to realize that God always has things under control. And we worry and we worry and we worry and we, we have ulcers and we, we, we have to take a sleeping medicine to go to sleep at night because we say our mind won't shut down. Really, what it is, we just worry it. <laughs> We're just worrying ourselves into the grave when, when what we need to do is not worry and fret, but just simply say, Lord, I'm yours and here's the need. I believe it can happen. Ben Davis was a pastor, a friend of mine, a number of years ago over, over in Sydney, Ohio. He's gone now. He passed away at a young age. But Ben had a, a grandfather that was 74 years old who was still very active. His grandfather had been out at a meeting, and the meeting run late, and he was trying to make it back home, and so he decided to take a back road, a country road, and heading back, but it was on a wintry night. He got out on that isolated back road, and, and there he was. His car began to spit and sputter, and pretty soon he just died. There's nowhere around. Nobody's ever going to find him. But he, he thought, well, I, I don't know what it is, but I'll get out and open the hood and see if I can figure it out. And as he stepped out of the car and he reached down to open the hood, the road was slippery. It had ice on it. It was a cold night. And he slipped and fell. And when he fell, he broke his hip, and he also broke his leg. He said, I tried to get up. The pain was so excruciating. There was no way. I was feeling like I was going to black out. He said, I laid there and I kept thinking, oh God, what am I going to do? Lord, you've got to help me. And he said, I laid there and I began to try to move in a little bit. Pretty soon I was getting so cold and I tried moving, but I couldn't move. And he said, and I had an awful thought. I was sitting along the side of the road where it quit and I couldn't get off the road completely and I was down on the side where somebody passed me. My leg that I couldn't move was sticking out in the road. And he said, I had this awful thought. What if somebody drives down this road and they don't know, they just see the car and they don't realize I'm there. They could run over me and kill me. He said he began to cry out and began to pray. He said, I'd pray a while, and then I'd shiver and almost pass out, and then I'd come to, and I'd pray a little more. He said, about 2 o'clock in the morning, a white car pulled up. A young man got out, and he saw the situation, and he loaded him in his car. He was almost at death's door. And he took him to the local hospital to the yard. Once the young man found out that Ben's grandfather was okay, he was going to live, he disappeared. The family tried to find out who was this guy? Who was this young man that brought my grandfather in? We want to know. We want to honor him. We want to tell him how much we appreciate it. The only information they could find was one of the nurses said on the back of his jacket there were the words providence. Providence, he says, is that, that that's, a, that's a university, uh, you know, in, a, in another state, in Rhode Island. But Glenn, I want to tell you something. This grandpa could never be convinced of the fact that that young man was just a young college student from Providence. He was sent from God because he prayed in a time of need. 
and God sent that man. Now, God don't always answer that quickly on everything to everybody. But it certainly did for this young man. And so you see, still, he knew, he cares. In times of distress, we find out that we need to get alone. In times of distress, we need to know that God cares. And then finally, there's a third thing in this Scripture is that we can trust that God not only cares, but He's also able to provide for our needs. Not only does He care. Now, have you... Have you ever noticed that the disciples are not always on the same page that Jesus is? You ever notice that about the disciples, you know? There are times when it's obvious that they are not on the same wavelength. And this was one of those times. Jesus said unto them, Give the crowd something to eat. (laughs) I can almost hear them say, Say what? Give them something out here in in no man's land, in the desert where there's nothing, and you're saying give them something to eat? Maybe maybe we just didn't hear them right. Maybe somehow we were miscuning 5,000 people uh, with, with five loaves of bread and two small fish. Something just doesn't compute, Lord. Don't you understand what's going on? And the disciples looked at each other and said, This is an impossible thing. There's no way. A caterer, the best in the world, with tons of food, could hardly handle this situation. Think about it. I, I've even been watching the basketball playoffs. <laughs> you have yet? I don't really care much about it. My grandson loves it. He, he'd live and die for it. But you know what? I looked at that crowd. I was thinking about this, and I looked at that crowd. And I thought, you know what? Woo! When I looked at them put that camera out on that crowd that was watching that basketball game, it was kind of like what what our story is all about. 5,000 people, (laughs) a few loaves and a couple of How in the world is this ever going to happen? But you know what? Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when Jesus is there. He don't need a whole lot. You know what that's telling me? Boy, there's something there that could preach. You know what? When you look at yourself and you say, there's nothing I have. There's nothing in me. I'm nobody. I don't have this. I don't have that. Let me tell you something. God can take what you have and make it greater than you ever anticipated ever be. Or anybody else. You see, because when God's in it, things changes. These disciples, you see, they knew that that little bit of food would have never been enough. But they were wrong. Little is always much when Jesus is involved. Jesus took that little bit of bread. And you notice what he said? He didn't take it back here somewhere and become some magician. I hear people say, well, you know, maybe there was some way. And I've heard some philosophy on that. But no, Jesus put it right out in front of them. He took that bread and he held it up. And he looked to heaven to his Father. And he prayed that God would bless these folks with this bread. And then he held the fish up and he prayed. And he said, God is going to tell you. And then you know the amazing thing was? He broke that apart and there was 12 disciples. He gave them 12 baskets. And they took it to everyone. And the Bible didn't say, now, now we don't have much today, folks. So go, go sparingly. You know how that is? You know, sometimes you have a carrying dinner downstairs, and somebody went to the restaurant and got a little pack like that at the grocery store. Somebody else made a big one like that. When we had them, I used to say, listen, if you don't have a big enough pan, we'll loan you one. (laughs) 
You know, but but you know what? I'm sure that's what happened. I'm sure that as they looked at this, but as he divided it up and they all took their own place, they were they were sitting and out in the grass like you're sitting here today. And here went one usher here, one disciple here, one here, one here, and they're passing it down the road and passing it back and forth. And then when they all ate all they wanted, till they were satisfied, it said then, notice this. The disciples picked up twelve baskets full. It's more than enough. Now, now I can almost imagine those same disciples who said, "Feed them." Say what? Now they're saying, "Look at here! Wow! Did you see that? What a miracle! Look at here! Look at all the bread we've got left! Look at all the fish that's left! We'll find somebody else to give it to. Have another picnic." You see, they were thrilled at what God had done, the miracle that had taken place. I want to tell you something. I thought about that. Oh, how how I think about that Scripture. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. There are so many places people are putting their faith today other than in the Word of God. When I think about this, you know, there are people that put their faith in their bank account. They put their faith in their health problems, and I eat the right food, and I exercise right, and I do everything that I can do. They're putting their faith in their education. The more education you get, the more I'll know, the more I'll be able to do. But is it enough? It's good to have them. It's wonderful to have it. But is it enough? I know people who have lost their health, that had enough money to buy a new body, but they couldn't find nobody who could give them the parts. I've known people, you see, that had good bodies. Who's the old fellow on television? You all, all the time eating him nuts all the time. Remember the old fellow back years ago? He just always eating that. You eat nuts, you're in good shape. You're in shape. You know, he died. <laughs> the nuts didn't solve the problem. So you see, the education and the food and the money doesn't solve the problem. You know what we got to do? We know that there's only one that's going to take care of us, and that's God. So we have to put our faith in Him. No matter how small it may be, we need to trust Him. You see, the question is, are these things enough? Where do we put our security? I, you know, we, we, we do. We trust a lot of things in life. You, you get in the car this morning, you got yourself all cleaned up and all clean, looking nice and wanting to come to church. You get out there and get in that car, and you you just pull that key out and put an ignition. You you know it's going to start. You know you got enough fuel, and you know you're going to get. Whatever happens if it don't? I read about an article in a hospital that went to put on a new addition, and when they dug out to put on the new addition, they found there was a pipe out from the hospital, about four and a half feet down, about six foot deep. They got to investigate and said, well, I believe that was probably put there for some kind of water line. So they began to check things out and went inside and, you know, they had the hose on the wall, you know how they used to have it? Had hose on the wall and had all them brass, pretty brass fixtures. And, and you know, if for 35 years, 
They trusted that if there was an emergency, if there was a fire, if there was some reason that we needed to use that water hose and that, that brass fixture and turn that big valve, that we'd have enough water to supply that. They found out 35 years later that thing was never hooked up. Wow. You know where I'm going, don't you? There's a lot of folks that have the idea that they're all this stuff, and I've got all this spirituality about me, but my friend, if you're not hooked to Jesus Christ, it is of no value. You can have all the neatness. You can have all the education. You can have everything there is. You see, I've known churches that have most beautiful buildings, and they have hired staff. They have some of the most oriented preachers, not like me, you know. I mean, they're just dignified fellows. And, and you know, they got the greatest trained graduate musicians, and they have everybody. But where's God? Where's God in the midst of it? You see, that's what's important. You didn't come to church today. Hopefully you didn't come to just think you had a preacher that knew something. But I'm going to tell you something. You come to church today because there is a God that cares about you. There's a God that says to you that no matter what your need is, no matter how, no matter how far-fetched it may be, no matter how serious it is, no matter how, how, how determined that people say you'll never make it through, let me tell you something. There is a God that cares about you, that will meet your need, that will touch you, that will deliver you if you'll trust Him this morning. That's what it's all about. I'm going to close with a story. Because you know I like stories. We worked three and a half years building a new church in Cogwis, Puerto Rico. Our church sponsored that. I pastored. Every, every year we go two, sometimes three times a year. And uh, Brother McCracken knows Dennis Berry. Dennis Berry was our, our camp director at that time. We would go and we would work on this church. We built this brand new church down in downtown Cogwis, between the hospital and the and the, uh, the uh, courthouse. We bought the lot first, had to clear it, had to put a fence around it. You can't keep nothing over there if you don't put a fence around it. But we worked three and a half years, and we come down to the last camp, and, and you know, when I would go for the camp, I, I'd preach on Sunday morning. The associate would preach Sunday night, and I'd go down to Columbus, I'd catch on an airplane, I'd fly to, to uh, Puerto Rico. And I'd stay there that whole week, and I'd preach for them, on the next weekend, and then Monday or Tuesday, I'd fly back home. Well, this was the last week. This was the last work camp before the dedication of the new building. That part of the country, everything is, is block and plaster and, you know, you know it's just tech, textile stuff. You can't keep wood because of the termites. So you built the building, but we wanted something beautiful. So on the side coming in, we have two double doors. And on the side going out to the annex, two double doors. And two from the main entrance. They had purchased the most beautiful mahogany door you've ever seen in your life. A full two and a half inch thick. They were eight foot high and four foot wide. That meant when you opened the doors, you had eight foot opening with eight foot high. Because the ceilings are high because there's no air conditioning. It's hot over there. Well, these doors were stored in a storage shed we had back at the corner of the lot. 
We put them back there, kept them covered up, wanted nobody to get near them, nobody to mess them doors up, because we wanted those beautiful varnished doors to be the entrance of that church. And then they got the bright idea. Nobody's going to touch them doors but the preacher. He'll put the five hinges on each side. And so they said, this is the last thing we need to do. While we're getting everything else in order, you go back there and you put the, cut the hinges in, get them ready, and we'll carry them out and we'll mount those things. I had the jams. I had everything. So I was. I went back there all by myself. I would clean at the back of that lot, probably a good from here to the street away. I'm back there with all my stuff, and I decide the door's leaning here. I uncovered it. I had the horses. I grabbed that door. Now, you know how dumb I am. I grabbed that door, and I went to turn it, to twist it, to lay it on the horses, and my back went out. And I'm telling you that I felt like Ben Davis's grandpa with his broken leg. I mean, I was in excruciating pain, but I knew I'd be in a whole lot more if I ruined that door. I put that door down, and I laid it as soft as I could, and I couldn't hardly get up. And I began to pray. Oh, God, this is my first day back. we got this thing to dedicate. Lord, why me? Why now? And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm trying to move, but I can't. And I finally, I decided about 30 minutes later, there's nothing I can do. I've just got to go get some help. And I walked out of that door. And every step I took was in pain. So I knew where I was going, but I kept, you know how you get pain. You kind of close your eyes. And I was walking along with my eyes, and, and I'm just hardly making it. And I, mean, I mean, I'm just, oh, God, every step I'm saying, God, you've got to help me. And i got a guy over here that's the director of the hospital. Surely he can do something for me. But, Lord, you've got to help me get there. And so I was walking along, and all of a sudden I stepped in a hole. I tell you, it was like lightning went off. Shot pain up to the top of my head. I was in such pain, I ripped them on. Oh, God! Oh, God! What am I going to do? When I got done shouting, the pain was gone. The pain was gone. You see, God knew that I was as stupid as they come for trying to do what I did. And God took care of that need. I went back with three other guys. And we finished the chopping of those doors. And we hung those doors. And we did a dedication service. And I finished that work camp without without an ounce of pain. Because you see, it wasn't the amount of faith. It was strong faith to say, God, you didn't send me over here for all this time for nothing. I'm believing that you're going to take care of this, and he did. Let me tell you something, my friend. Don't ask God for a lot of faith. Just ask him to strengthen the what you do have. Because, you see, faith is one of those things. You know, he, he describes it as mustard seed. Mustard seed grows in one of the biggest trees on the face of the earth. It's not a matter of how much you have. It's how you use what you have. I'm here to tell you today that no matter how far away you've gone from the Lord, no matter where you've had your blunders and failures, and you say, well, God couldn't save me, God couldn't forgive me. You know what? The devil's a liar, been a liar from the beginning. God is willing to take care of your need today. Not only physically, but spiritually. God wants to increase our strength of our faith. 
And so we're going to sing a song. And if you have that need, if you're sitting there and you're being the doubter that the disciples were, when they were given that little bit, and, and Jesus said, feed them. Jesus is saying to you today, whatever you have need of. You know what the Scripture says? You have not because you ask not. I have a lot of people say, well, I have this and I have that. Have you ever asked the Lord to take care of Oh, no, I don't want to bother him. Let me tell you something. He likes to be bothered. He wants to be bothered because he wants to do something in our lives. Because our lives, when he does, is a testimony to those that are in need. Let's stand together. Father, this morning, you know the needs that are here. You know the hearts. You know the lives. You know what what they're searching for today. Lord, we pray for that one man, woman, boy or girl, whoever it might be, Lord, that is doubting today. Help them, Lord, to come. And, and Lord, just ask You to totally fill them with Your Spirit and Your power. Father, we pray for the one that may be sick today that needs healing in their body. Help them to come expecting, Lord, that when we pray as You promised, Lord, that You would take care of that need. Father, whatever their needs might be today, I don't know, but You do and they do. So, Father, we pray that You would meet that need right here today as we sing and as we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Will you come as we sing?